This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning on our scripture reading, we come to the last section of Zephaniah. Uh, We're in chapter 3 and beginning at verse 14 to the end of the letter uh, to, to verse 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Amen. Good morning. As I uh, as we begin, just ask you to keep your keep your Bibles there in Zephaniah, Zephaniah verses fourteen through twenty. As we finish this book, um, and as we finish looking at the words of this specific prophet. But before we dive in, let's let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we have taken now uh, many weeks and looking through this prophet, we know, Lord, that life is hard. We know, Lord, that in the difficulty and in the hardship, you are there, you are present, you are full of grace and mercy. And Lord, this particular passage enlightens us to just how much you love your people. And so, God, we pray that we would recognize your love, we would see your hand, that we would have hearts to receive the grace and the mercy that you so lavish upon us, that we would have ears to hear the good news of Jesus. And Lord, we pray, as we pray each and every week, that we would be changed, that we would be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. We pray believing that you will use your word and You, O Holy Spirit, will come and apply that word to our lives. Lord, we do pray that you would bring conviction in those areas where we need to repent, where we need to be more rightly adjusted into your will. But Lord, we also know that you are gracious and merciful. And so, Lord, may the the sweet salve that you provide that heals our wounds, may we know that love of Christ. May we experience the refreshment and the joy of a God who sings over his people. 
May we know the fact that you are here with us in our midst. And Lord, we pray that we would sing to you the praises due your name. Lord, we know there are many that are struggling even this hour. We pray for them. We pray for their bodies physically. We pray, Lord, for their emotions. We pray, Lord, for them spiritually. Lord, minister to each person, to each need, as only you can do. And we look to you as the great healer, the great provider, the one who is our creator, sustainer, and redeemer. Lord, I pray for my words that I would not say more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Praise is a good thing. Praise. It's especially good when we celebrate one who deserves it. On Monday, we as a nation will spend the day celebrating Memorial Day. Memorial Day is a day given to celebrate those who sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Let me be clear, giving honor on Memorial Day is good and right. Paul writes in Romans 13, verse 7, give honor to those whom honor is owed. The sacrifice of one's life for the freedoms that we experience and share in is a good and right thing that they should be honored. And friends, that's the exact point that Zephaniah is making in verses 14 through 20. The point that God should be honored for all that he does all that he has accomplished, all that he provides. Listen to verses 14 and 15. Sing, sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. Friends, this is a big deal. This call here is a call to worship. And as we remember through the book of Zephaniah, we've learned that God showed grace to his people by warning them of a coming judgment. A judgment that they would experience in exile if they didn't repent. Yet as we've also seen in Zephaniah, the hard-hearted people of Judah would not listen to the warning of the prophet. They ignored Zephaniah's words of destruction. Destruction upon their homes. Destruction upon their families. And destruction upon the very temple of God. They ignored the physical evidence of their brothers to the north, Israel, who already had been taken into exile because of their rebellion by the Assyrians. In the midst of all of this, these three chapters contain yet a promise at the very end of salvation, deliverance, hope. God promises salvation, a salvation to the remnant, not because of their righteousness, but because of His faithfulness. Because God is faithful to the covenant He has made. And this, according to Zephaniah, is a reason to praise Him. This is a reason to celebrate Him. See, the call to worship is important. Scripture is filled with calls of worship, calling us to sing the praises of our God. 
A God who is listed as the creator, the one who made all things. He should be praised. The one who's the sustainer, the one who holds us up and keeps us together. He should be praised. And here we see the praise of a redeemer, the one who saves. This command to worship God is not a trip uh, or an ego that God is on, that he needs to get pats on the back or words of affirmation. God doesn't need our words of affirmation. God doesn't need our pats on the back. No, our praising and glorifying God doesn't make God more glorified. God is already as perfect and wonderful as he will ever be. It's not like something is lacking, and that's why God says, sing praises to me, sing more praises. No, our praising, our glorifying to God is because he deserves it. It's only right and natural. It's, it's, it's important because we are his creation that we would sing his praises. Now, I'm a dog person, and in my house I have my puppy that we've had for 10 years. I still call him a puppy. But that little guy, as soon as I walk in, he is ecstatic. And from the moment I walk in the house till I leave, he is by my side. His little tail wagging, he's just there to please me. That's one of the reasons I like dogs. They understand who's in charge. (laughs) But the problem is, Rather than being like an example we see in dogs who appreciate their owner, many of us are more like cats who begin to think they're the owner. I mean, isn't that our experience? We begin to get things kind of out of order and we miss the fact that we have a responsibility because God created us, God sustains us, and yes, God redeems us. How can we not sing his praises? See, it's actually good and beneficial for the creation to honor the creator. And what it does is it, it reminds us who he is. But it also reminds us who we are. And friends, that's why God set in the very foundation of creation, one day in seven set aside to his worship. It's called the Sabbath. It's there in Genesis 2. We read that when God had finished creating on the six days, the seventh day, it said God rested. He rested from his labor. And this rest was a rest from, for us to understand our rest in God. Our rest from all other worldly focuses. The seventh day was given to man, and God made it holy. He set it apart, a day for himself. This one in seven days set apart was actually placed in the moral law when Moses speaks to the people from Mount Sinai. We see it as the fourth commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Have a day that's set apart for me to worship me. It's good for you that you would remember your creator. Even following the resurrection of Christ, the New Testament church began gathering on one day of the week as special. They chose the first day of the week because that was the day that Christ resurrected. But they were still following the order. One day in seven, set apart unto the Lord. 
honoring their creator, the sustainer, and the redeemer. Note what Jesus says as he's attacked for healing a man on the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's important we understand that the Sabbath is a good thing. The Sabbath helps us to keep perspective as it's a day to focus our worship. Worship is a gift. Celebration and praise is a gift as we're reminded of the one who is truly worthy. And here we are in our text, and God, right out of the gate, through the prophet, has been calling his people to repentance. The stiff neck that they had would unrelent, and God tells them that judgment is coming, but then he mentions the hope of salvation. And he calls them in response to sing aloud, to shout, to rejoice. See, that's the point. Friend, every one of us has been called to the worship of God. And yet, like the people of Judah, we can find other things that we would rather worship. The people in, in Judah's day were worshiping just like the pagans, but they were saying, well, no, really, we're just adding it to the worship of God. This wasn't anything new. If you remember, when the people uh, were gathered around the mountain and, and Moses went up the mountain to receive the very word of God, the people wanted a God that they could see, feel, and touch, even though God said, don't make any graven images. How often we want things to be our way, acting more as a cat who thinks one should be worshipped. And this is why Zephaniah calls us to sing, to shout, to rejoice. Think about the idea of singing. It, it, when one sings, one is joyful. Many times when you're driving through the car or, or you're working in the yard or you're doing things, you just happen to start whistling or humming a tune or singing something because you just want to express the joy. Singing expresses the joy of our Creator. But what about these shouts? It's the idea of the trumpet blast or making noise. It's the idea of a shout of victory that God provides. The singing, the shouting, the rejoicing. It captures the jubilation of a faithful God who saves. We're told to exalt, to be glad, but notice the direction is to be glad with all of your heart. Worship isn't to be done with just part of you. But true worship requires all of you. And this is the picture of Psalm 103, verse 1. As the psalmist writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Not some, not part, all of me. May I sing His praises. May I shout His victory. May I rejoice in His provision. May I exalt and be glad in Him. True praise of God can never be less than the whole person. And this is exactly what we see the prophet Zephaniah calling for. And yet what's interesting is this comes at the end of a book. And this call for worship comes after God's announcement of judgment and God's warnings of, of, of exile. And yet, all the while, God's grace and mercy on display. 
the climax of the book, says the only proper response to all of that is worship. How much more is that true in our own lives, our own stories, our own experiences? How much more is it true that everything we experience, the good and the bad, God should be celebrated? Because God is truly the creator. God is truly the sustainer. And yes, God is ultimately the only redeemer. God should be praised. And notice the call to praise is made to the daughters of Zion, to Israel, to the daughters of Jerusalem. These terms as the idea is God's people. Those who are truly God's people are called to gather in his house to worship his name. And why do this? Because according to verse 15, God takes away our judgment. God clears away our enemies. Listen to what he says. The Lord your God has taken away the judgments against you. Remember, the judgments they were experiencing was because of their own rebellion. They would go into exile because of their own hard-heartedness. But God has taken away those judgments. And God has cleared away the enemies. For Judah, the enemy would be Babylon. Babylon would be the one who would conquer them and take them away. In 586, the temple would be destroyed. But God would eventually clear away their enemies. This is a sign that God's judgment has been removed, that the Lord has cleared away from the enemies, that God has provided salvation from all that holds you captive. He's delivered his people. He saved them. The only proper response is to sing, to shout, to exalt his name. See, they would eventually be going home. They would eventually be coming out of exile. Now we understand that this, of course, would be fulfilled during the reign of a Persian king by the name of Cyrus. He was called the servant of the Lord. In fact, he's a reference to the suffering servant that Jesus says is fully identified in him. But Cyrus is a picture of this as he allows the people to go. This Cyrus was prophesied way before his ever coming back in Isaiah 45, verse 1. And it was fulfilled in Ezra 1, 1, where we see God fulfilling his plan to redeem his people, to bring them out of judgment, and to clear away all their enemies. Friends, that's just a picture of what would be in Jesus. For those of us in Christ, we know the freedom and the salvation that Christ in Christ alone brings. And as good as that is, I would draw your attention yet further as you look at verse 15 of one of the greatest promises of all. As it says at the end of verse 15, the King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. As good as it is to be, to be forgiven, as good as it is that our enemies would be destroyed, the greatest blessing was that God was with them. That God was present in all of their struggles. That God had not left them, but was with them. God is with you and with me. He's present in our everyday lives. And because God is present, they had no reason to fear and neither do we. We have no reason to be afraid, for we are safe. And Scripture says, 
we can bank on it. The good news of this requires the proper response of worship. The good news of this, the only proper response is to worship, to sing God's praises. And just to make things abundantly clear, the psalm, or excuse me, the prophet continues to go on. Look what he says in verse 16. On that day, a reference to the day of judgment, which is also a day of salvation for the remnant, he goes, on that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not. Let not your hands grow weak. Or how about verse 17? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. These expressions give very clear direction to how God and what God does for his people. Yes, the Lord is in the midst of his people but he's described as being in our midst as a mighty one who will save. He's described as being in our midst as one who rejoices over us with gladness, not frowns, but joy. He quiets us in all of our worries and all of our concerns, not with rebuke, but with love. This is the picture that we're given in verse 17 of the way in which we experience the presence of God with us. And as you read this, you should be encouraged because this is a picture in the Old Testament of the teaching of John 3.16. For God so loved his people, right? Right? He loves us so much that what does he do? He gives his one and only son. He holds nothing back. He takes great joy and pleasure in saving his people. The call is that they would repent, that they would believe, that they would trust, and they would sing of this Savior. That's the picture. That's the picture is that during this time, those who were once scattered will now be gathered. I want you to notice the difference moving on from verse 18 and following that we go from a prophetic utterance of a prophet to actually a divine speech of God. Notice the language change. Verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with you in all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will, I will change their shame to praise and renown it in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, I will gather you together and I will make you renowned and praised amongst all the people of the earth. I will restore you and your fortunes. Do you hear it? Because he's in the midst, he's with his people, he speaks to them and he speaks to us. God in his grace, he speaks to us and he speaks his love over us. He speaks his protection and his comfort for those who mourn. Interesting enough, Jesus taught on the morning, and he talked, talked about mourning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. 
See, the mourning there is actually a picture of the grief of their sin. It's a, it's a brokenness of recognizing that, that they are in need of salvation, in need of a Redeemer, and their crying out brings truly the salvation that they desire. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, Jesus said. In Psalm 137, verse 1, we're given a picture of the people in exile. Listen to the psalmist as he writes, By the waters of Babylon I sat down and wept when I remembered Zion. The weeping, the desiring of the uh, the festival and being in the celebration of the Lord, their hearts were heavy. And God says, as he lifts up their chins, cheer up, for I am with you. He speaks love over them, even in the midst of their suffering. A suffering they received because they earned it, because of their sin. And yet he was there in their midst, lifting them up, encouraging them. That's why he says, behold, at that time, that appointed time, I will deal with your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change their shame to praise. No longer would they be identified as a people who rebelled against God and were now in judgment. Now they would be seen as a people who were held up and loved and and cherished by their God. Oh, that time is special. As that time promises help, deliverance, salvation. He continues as he says in verse 20, I will bring to you at that time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised amongst the people of the earth. That's absolutely mind-blowing. These rebellious people, he saves and he transforms and he changes even their image because now they're covered in the love of God. They're covered in the perfection of their Savior. Their shame was their sin. Their sin brought their ruin, but God steps into their midst and he brings salvation and God changes everything. Friends, as we read a text like this, we can't help but say, yeah, but what about us? And friends, that's, that's a good question. It's a question that is answered in the Gospels in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. See, this Old Testament imagery of exile and banishment and salvation and redemption is a picture of what Christ came to do, the work Christ came to offer. See, Zephaniah teaches us that there is something for all who are trusting in Christ to sing about. See, the remnant of Judah would experience deliverance from exile. The, the remnant of Judah would, would, would ultimately see the judgment of God taken away. They would see their enemies removed. They would understand that God is in their midst and he sings over them. They would rejoice with the gladness because of all that he has done for them, taking their shame and turning it into fame. He would restore all their fortunes. This is the experience of those who know Christ. For notice verse 17 says, The Lord, He is the mighty one who will save. The promised day is a day when Christ would come and He is our hero. He has come to save us. And just as Zephaniah has shown, salvation is a reason for each and every one of us to worship God. We are all sinners. 
And therefore, we all have rebelled. We rebelled by worshiping creation rather than the Creator. But God, in His long-suffering, in His mercy, in His grace, sent His very own Son, Jesus Christ, to clear the way. When Jesus came, Jesus came to deal with every enemy we could ever face. Death, the world, the flesh, and the devil. God is in our midst. That's after all what John 1.14 says. The Word became flesh and He dwelt amongst us. And we've seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we sing His praises that He's come. We celebrate every Christmas that Jesus came and lived. We celebrate every Easter that He died and resurrected. But we may ask, but what about now? Are we left as orphans? In that same book of John, John chapter 14, Jesus, speaking to His disciples, said this, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. See, God has given us One of the greatest gifts, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Our experience of salvation is complete as God is in our midst. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst in a special way. And he calls us to worship. To worship the one who sings over us with gladness. To worship the one who quiets us by his love. Isn't that what Paul meant in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And notice the report or the response that Paul says is only appropriate. And we rejoice. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Friends, the only proper response is to sing the praises of our Savior. To sing the praises of one who is so worthy. We gather on Sundays to do just that, to make much of Jesus. That's why we're here. To sing about him with all of our hearts. Because it's good for us to be reminded of how worthy he is as our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer. Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. As a kid, I, I kind of celebrated in that like because I couldn't sing very well. And if God will just take my noise that comes out of my mouth, praise God for it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. That's the shouts. That's the singing. That's the, the exalting. Serve the Lord with gladness. Notice the involvement of the hands and the whole being. Come into his presence with singing, joyful singing for all that he's done. Know that the Lord, he is God. We're not God. He is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him, and he protects us as the great shepherd. Notice the call in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. The only proper response is thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him 
bless his name. And look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. Church, do you know that this morning? Do you know that the Lord is good? His steadfast love, his covenantal love, endures forever. His hased, that's the Hebrew word for it. His hased, his covenantal love, lasts forever. It endures and is faithfulness to all generations. Seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ as Jesus has come to save and die for that which is lost. He truly is worthy of our praise. The question before us is, will we praise him? Will we praise him with all we have? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this reminder of the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord, that you are our creator. You've made us, but you have not abandoned us. You are our sustainer. You hold us up when we are weak, when we are lame. And yet, Lord, even when we rebel, You don't discard us. You redeem us. Thank you for your love that you quietly speak over us. Thank you, Lord, for the way you sing over us. And may we respond with gratitude. May we truly sing your praises, for you are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.